Welcome back to another episode of Farmland. It's a testing time for everyone at the moment, but don't worry, we will continue to bring you the latest news and videos each week. While we may have to change how we do things, we will still bring you the latest information. Here's what's coming up. We talked to Jimmy Walsh of Linster Marks about 50 years in business. FCI's Mike Moroni talked carbon taxes and their impact on agri-contractors. Calibrating your seed drill is essential and should be carried out between crops, varieties and seed batches. Here's a step-by-step -step guide to the process. Jimmy Walsh has been market manager of Kilcullen for decades and has seen many changes in cattle sales over the years. We spoke to him about his time there and the changes that he has seen. I was in the bank last week and the manager was able to tell me that we were the oldest account holder. The account was uh, put in AIB in Carlo, or Munster and Leinster as it was then, in 1958, and they had a lot of canvassing to get that account. But anyway, uh, quite seriously, that's the length of time. My own length of time in it, um, I, I near enough joined from college uh, a few years ago, a good few years ago. You know, the Herefords faded off the scene for quite a few years and uh, very traditional cattle and uh, when all the slatted units were being built and all that kind of thing was going on the guys that were in the feeding game wanted to be putting big frames, big frames of continental cattle, you know they were turning out bullocks that were seven, eight, and 900 kilos lightweight you weren't going to be doing that with Herefords you were going to leave them out under a bush all winter so the Herefords kind of went out of uh, I won't say they went out of fashion but they weren't as in demand as what the continentals were, you know and in fairness then, a good deal of lads coming from the west, the dealers would bring the continental crosses as well, but back to years, it was all the Herefords and the Blacks. Added the, the continental ones, the big frames of cattle really took off, say, from the late 1980s, from there forward now. The traditional cattle are back in fashion, if you want to call it that, but definitely Hereford cattle and the Black Anguses, Angus cattle, even, you know, even we see quite a few shorthorns now, and I'll tell you what we see, we even see a few Galloways knocking around. But leaving that aside though, the, the Herefords because there's a bonus and a premium for the beef afterwards, and the same with the Anguses, and to have the little niche clubs and things like that, well certainly they're very, very much in demand. And the other thing obviously, with the growth in the dairy herds, you're more likely to get a lot more Herefords and a lot more Anguses. Twenty years ago, and there's a photograph there that will show you, there wouldn't be a bullock in the yard under 600 kilos. There'd only be 600 kilos plus, and every bullock in the yard would be over the pens. We just kept on raising the pens, the cattle were getting bigger. And that continued then um, all, through, all through the 90s. Our shows and sales here would be something else now. Big cattle, like six, 650, 700, even 800 kilos live weight would be common enough through the sales rings. Now, obviously those you had, there were big continental, big Charolais, um, cross bullocks, that, that type of thing. Today, you don't have that anymore. Today now you have Frisians, you have the dairy crosses out there, you have the Herefords, you have the Anguses, and you have them in batches, because the dairy herds, generally speaking, are quite sizable. And when a dairy farmer comes to sell cattle, he's not coming with five or six, he's coming with a good load. And maybe a load the following week as well, and he's here to sell. There's no hanging on because the dairyman, when he comes to a market with cattle, he comes to do business to sell. They're not going home. Today or any other day out there, there would be three quarters of the stock in the yard 
would probably be out of dairy herds. There'd be Anguses and Herefords, and you might get some Aurbracks. Uh, you might get some of the other breeds, but generally speaking, that's what you'll get. And then you will have the Suckland farmer, which unfortunately is a diminishing group. Um, the Suckland farmer with, with the big cattle, that is, that's coming in with the, the very, very well done cattle, they are a diminishing. And like most marts, we would have done a lot of pretty serious clearance sales for some of those good Suckland herds, those beef Suckland herds over the years. And now we're at the point where the growth in the dairy herd has replaced those numbers. In our case, our numbers in Kilcullen here in this mart have remained consistent year upon year. 20 years ago we were selling the same number of cattle that we're selling today. The difference is in, in, in um, the, the quality of what we're selling. Um, the average price of a bullock here in Kilcullen used to be about 1100 or thereabouts. The average price today is probably about uh, maybe 900 and that is because it's a different type of animal you're selling out of the dairy stuff. Have a look around and you'll see all the better farmers that are in dairy and that are newcomers. They were all suckler farmers before that. So they're good farmers and they're transferring their skills into a new area and thankfully we're still getting them. We have a calf mart in our, in our, in our, in our sister company, in our sister mart in Carlo. We have a calf sale on a Monday that absorbs a good bit from the area. From selling 200 calves a week, we're selling 500 calves a week. Mm. So uh, that, that's how the thing has turned around. The turnovers in the market are no different now than what they were 30 years ago. Mm. The cattle numbers are a bit less than what they were then, but the reason the turnover is no different is because the prices haven't changed, you know. A good beef bullock today is no different in price than it was 20 years ago. In this week's how-to video, Siobhan Walsh examines how to calibrate a seed drill with Derek Delahunty from Limkin. He was setting up a new drill for M&J contracting in County Cork. Hello, my name is Siobhan Walsh and for this week's how-to video, we're here in Klein County Cork with M&J contracting and we're learning how to calibrate a seed drill. So Derek, this morning, lovely sunny morning, we're in Klein County Cork, we have a shiny new seed drill, it needs to be calibrated. Um, so we're going to sow spring barley today, and we'd obviously calibrate if we were switching from oats to barley, but why else do we calibrate our seed drills? I suppose the most important thing to remember when you're calibrating your seed drill is you want to put, be efficient with your, your use of your seed. You know, this particular machine is a Solitaire 9, it's a high-end, high, highly efficient machine, it's fully isobus controlled, it's got section control, it can do variable seed rate, etc, etc. So we want to make sure then that we actually give it the right information to work with. So once we calibrate this machine, then we're going to make sure then that obviously we're getting our seed distribution right, that we're getting the, the right seeds per square meter, that we're actually getting the, the right weight of seed being used on any given day with any given variety. And obviously that gives us more accuracy, more efficiency to make sure that we get the best establishment of the crop thereafter. You know, there's a lot of different factors that come into play, like we have our seed depth, et cetera, et cetera. But calibration is the first part of the whole process. So when we're switching from varieties, we're going to calibrate the drill. When we're switching batch numbers even within a variety, we're going to calibrate the drill. It's extremely important. It's, it's very quick to do and it's essential that everybody does it. So we're going to run through how to calibrate the drill today. Okay, so like Siobhan, once we had the information that you're, you've given me there with regards to the 1,000 grain weight, etc. So a 1,000 grain weight of 50, yeah. target plant count of 300. Yeah. And an establishment rate of 85. 85%. So we can put that into the screen. We, we can put that into the screen. What we'll do first though is we'll check to make sure on the, the chart on the side of the drill gives us our basic setup for the machine as to where we need it to be for grain, etc. Yeah. So what we'll do now is we, when we go to the cab, 
we'll make sure that the spanner setting on the screen is actually set to one. Okay. One is corresponding with grain. So therefore it'll set the motor to a certain speed parameter. Okay? okay. So once we have that set up then, the next thing we're going to do then is we're going to put in our thousand grain weight information into the calculator. That is going to come back to us with a result. That result then will determine what rate that we're going to actually plant. As we go through the system then, what we do is that there's, there's seven buttons on the screen. The next button that we want to make sure that we press is number three, because we want to pre-fill the seed wheels. Okay, so we've, we've entered the tray on the back of the drill. Yeah. The seed is in the hopper. The most important thing for pre-filling pre the seed is that we actually get the seed in the hopper to actually behave like it is out in the field. Yeah. Because what most people don't realize is when they're throwing the seed is scattered in all different directions, grains can be lying in all different directions. Yeah. But when you actually start planting, all the grains start to head towards the outlet. Therefore, by pre-filling the seeds, you're getting that to start happening. You're going to be more accurate with your calibration. Okay, we'll pre-fill the, the seed tray, we'll empty it out, then we go do our actual calibration. Once the seed is moving like it would in the field, it is time to measure the output. In this case, the seed runs through the drill for 45 seconds, half filling the tray to ensure an accurate reading. The tray and the seed are then weighed. The tray is emptied and then weighed again so that the weight can be taken away from the first weight. The weight of the seed was 6,182 grams in this case. It's important to keep the weighing scales sheltered from the wind to get an accurate reading. Finally, the weight is entered into the controls in the cab. Okay, so Derek, we have the weight off the scale, so the weight was? Uh, 6182 grams. Okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna put that into the screen? We're gonna input that into the screen. Like I said, we've tidied up the machine. Once we get in and input that figure into the screen, the machine will then automatically adjust itself to the rate that we set. I think, if I remember correctly, it's about 178 kgs to the hectare or something like that was our, was our final figure. That machine will then adjust itself accordingly with what the input of weight that we have. Okay, and so once that number is in, ready to go. We're ready to go. So wait, put in your tram lines, work away. Set your tram lines and work away. We're, we're ready to go to the field. That's the next step of this machine. So to summarize on how to calibrate a seed drill, so the first thing you need to do is calculate your seed rate. The second step is preparing your drill. The third step is getting the output of your drill. Fourth step, getting the weight of the output and entered into the tractor. And then you can sew away. In our next video, Mike Maroney talks about carbon taxes and why they are a cause for concern for agricultural contractors right across Ireland. Mike, thanks for joining us. Mm. Mike, the carbon tax is going to be increased to eighty euro per ton by twenty thirty, and while farmers are entitled to a refund under their tax system, farm and forestry contractors are excluded from that because they don't have a herd number. Yet the contractors do ninety percent of the work. Down the line, what kind of impact are we looking at here in terms of contractor charges? Well, we're never, first of all, we have to look at the costs affected and the costs of doing this are significant in terms of contracting because we've done some, some analysis of it and if somewhere in the region of 500 million litres of diesel, is, ag diesel is consumed in agriculture in Ireland each year and contractors use about 64-65% of that is used in contractor fleets. So if you take it from that point of view and then if we think forward that we're now at 20 euro per tonne um, of carbon tax going to be 26 on the 1st of May but moving to eighty euro per turn by 2030. So depending how we look at that, we're looking at a sector industry increasing cost of somewhere in the region of 100 million euro extra cost by just moving that alone. But some of the examples, if we take, if we take it, you know, it, to break it down into bite sizes that you can understand, it, we're looking at a carbon tax component of diesel being somewhere between 13 and 14 cent per litre extra. 
So at the moment, if depending where you're buying it, it's competitive enough. Diesel is costing say around sixty between sixty sixty five centiliter plus fat on top of it. But if we add fourteen centiliter on top of that, now we're looking at a cost a significant. That's a quarter increase in the cost just due to the carbon tax by twenty thirty. So that's a very significant difference. And in a guy burning, you know, an average contractor would say self-propelled silage outfit with slurry equipment, generally stuff, that, that operation would be burning about 150,000 litres a year. So we're looking at that point by 2030, if we get to the 80 euro per tonne, uh, which per tonne is roughly about 1,000 litres, if we get to that, we're looking at a figure including that of about 24,000, 25,000 extra euro ah. cost on fuel alone. And that cost will be borne by the farmer ultimately? Ultimately it will because just from the tax point of view, a contractor is not, uh, every business, be the farmer contracting, can claim their diesel costs as a cost against their business. So it's an input, so it's in, in terms of your taxation. Farmers have a second opportunity, they have called, so there's, there's double taxation benefits in terms of diesel. So farmers are able to claim a tax credit against the carbon component of their diesel. So to put it simply, if you're using a thousand litres of diesel on your farm, you're entitled to a tax credit only against your profits of about 20 euro per thousand litres. But that extra component is not available to contractors. And that's a major cause for concern for us because it puts a contractor who's not registered as a farmer at an advantage versus a contractor who's registered as a business. To get around the issue, the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, has suggested that the contract that the farmer supplies the diesel to the contractor. Um, what do you make of that suggestion? Is that is that a workable solution? It's not. It's not a workable solution. Um, it's not a workable solution for a number of reasons. Primarily for logistical reasons. Modern silage harvesting outfits, for example, if we take a typical silage system that will be picking up pit silage from the third week of May, we're looking at somewhere in the region of the harvester takes somewhere like 1,200 litres to fill for one day. The loading shovel could take 400 litres for one day. You could have four tractors at 250. So now we're into the region of two and a half, three thousand 3,000 litres for a day maybe even in excess of that, somewhere in the region 3,000 litres. So how does a farmer have 3,000 litres available? And does he get the truck oil company to deliver on site and who pays for it? Or does, does the contractor depend on what's stored already in the farm? And we don't know how long it's been stored. We have no measure of the quality. And most of the machines now are using AdBlue systems. They're quite um, technically modern engines. There isn't any room for any error in terms of quality, even the quality of the AdBlue itself. So the products that goes into that tractor must be right. Contractors are a bit reluctant. In some countries, and in particularly if you take the German situation, <clears throat> in parts of Germany, contractors are doing double invoicing. So they invoice the farmer for work, and then they send them an invoice for diesel. And that farmer can claim the tax credits on the diesel invoice from the contractor. But that means double invoicing bit complicated to do and we did suggest it to the revenue commissioner people they particularly don't want to get second invoicing from contractors it's enough to have one invoice for the contractor service what about having a hard number would that be something that contractors could consider to get around it 
Yeah, most contractors would like to have a, a number, and we've talked to the, the Department of Ag, Finance and the Revenue Commissioners about creating a register of agricultural contractors so that contractors who are on the register will be entitled to claim, to claim the equal tax credits as farmers because they are doing 90% of the work and they're burning nearly 70% of the diesel that's burnt in agriculture. Um, but there seems to be a reluctance to do that on the part of the government at the moment. Uh, but we believe that if there was a register, it would help both in terms of the carbon tax, it would help both in terms of general taxation and awareness, and would create a more level playing pitch for everybody. We'll leave it there, Mike. Thanks for joining us. That's all for this week. You can find out all our latest news on the Agriland app and at agriland.ie. Keep safe during these turbulent times, and we'll see you soon.